Waiting on rain In the desert without your touch Kiss me again That was Primo the Alien with Thunder, her highly anticipated single, and it's going to be leading up to an album that she is releasing on June 4th. My name is Karin Zoe Lee, and you're listening to Night Ride FM. Thank you for tuning into my Thursday show. I have a guest tonight, John Massari, if you know the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Of course you do. If you're tuned in here, of course you know that movie. He's going to be joining me a little bit later. 
And uh, you know who else has an album coming out on June 4th? This is System Glitch, and you're listening to Car and Zoe Lee on Nightride.fm. Young and Wild and Free by System Glitch, and uh, that was in fact an exclusive listen to an early version, which um, is a slick way of saying that I got it mixed up. Whoops. So, the new version though, you can buy it on Bandcamp tomorrow, because tomorrow is Bandcamp Day! All the revenue goes to the artists and labels. Bandcamp does not take their cut. They started this at the beginning of the pandemic, so yeah, load up your wish list and uh, pay out tomorrow. We're going to have fun. Julian, stop crying. Your credit card's going to be okay. <laughs> My goodness. So from Outland Recordings, there's a new artist, uh, Power Nerd and Edictum have collaborated to form 
the duo Shades of Thunder and their debut single, Laid Back Lane.
was Shades of Thunder with Laid Back Lane from Outland Recordings. I'm going to love that album. Coming up next, Von Kaiser. They joined us on Night Ride FM for their release party on Tuesday from their brand new an, uh, album, Animals. Here's one of my favorite tracks, Disconnected. Can you feel the love inside you when you look upon their face? Do you feel the most connected when you close inside their space?
was disconnected by Von Kaiser from their brand new album, Animals. And tomorrow is Bandcamp Day. I know I already said it, but I'm going to keep reminding you. From Aztec Records, Young Empress has a new track. And I heard that Bunny X is singing on this. This is Saturday. I know it's kind of a weird time, but I was just wondering what is going to happen to us on Monday. This must be the place. Get here Saturday. Should not be here today. But I hold my head in my hands and sit down anyway.
That was Young Empress with Saturday featuring Bunny X on vocals. All right. So tomorrow, like I said, tomorrow's Bandcamp Day. And uh, Eric C. Powell and his lovely wife, Andrea, uh, last year released Fly Away and this year releasing Fly Away the remixes. So if you pre-order tomorrow, they'll send you a CD. Here's my favorite track, The Bedside Table, Cyborg Drive Remix. Could that be him? Could that be 
was the Bedside Table, the Cyborg Drive remix, originally by Eric C. Powell and his lovely wife, Andrea Powell, who were my guests earlier in the year. Um, by the way, they have released a promo vid, it's about 20 minutes long, on their YouTube, featuring every artist that contributed to Fly Away the Remixes. Coming up next, oh my goodness, you know what, Bite the Boxer sent me this single a long time ago, but he forbade me to share it, <laughs> but I got permission. It releases tomorrow. Uh, this is Human Atmosphere. Incredible but true. What has been the advance of 20th century science in the diagnosis and cure of disease that one pictures men of medicine as seizing avidly on any discovery which contributes even slightly to their understanding the human body. And in general, such a picture is accurate. Wait a moment. What in the devil's name is that? The human atmosphere. Dr. Kilner's remarkable experiment. Alex, I want you to disrobe. I want to see your whole body behind that screen. Dr. Kilner's remarkable experiment. I'm not crazy, am I, Alex? You see it too, don't you? Sort of a, well, sort of an atmosphere all around his body. Exactly. The human atmosphere. But why is it so different up there around his chest? The radiation. They're a different color and a different texture altogether. By George, so they are. Short, so they are. Good Lord. Take a look at the man who's there now. The human atmosphere. Dr. Kilner's remarkable experiment. Alex, I want you to disrobe. I want to see your whole body behind that screen. Dr. Kilner's remarkable experiment. diagnoses with the aid of his viewing screens. And yet, the record of Dr. Kilmer's work lies ignored, forgotten by contemporary science. I'm not crazy, am I, Alex? The human atmosphere. Dr. Kilmer's remarkable experiment. Alex, I want you to disrobe. I want to see your whole body behind that screen. Incredible. That was Human Atmosphere by Bite the Boxer out tomorrow. And of course, tomorrow is Bandcamp Day. <laughs> by the way, I want to shout out to a user, a listener in our YouTube chat, Okashi Osami. Thank you for tuning in. 
Uh, I'll be there to chat with you in just a minute. In the meantime, I've got one more song before I introduce our guest. Michael Oakley, who's actually my guest next Thursday, is going to be coming out with an album next Friday, Odyssey. And uh, here's the premiere of a single that he's releasing tomorrow featuring Dana Jean Phoenix. This is Glasgow Song.
was Glasgow Song by Michael Oakley featuring Dana Jean Phoenix. And of course, that album Odyssey will be out uh, May 14th. And uh, you can actually pre-order it now on New Retro Waves Bandcamp page. Physicals are already available for pre-order. Um, several different colors of vinyl to choose from, several cassettes. He's even got mini-disc this time. I, I might actually spring for that, just, just for keepsake. <laughs> anyway, now I want to play you something by my guest, John Massari, before I bring him on. You might recognize this if you know the cult film. We've been over this. You know the film. This is Hidden Clownship. Thank you. 
we're back. If you're just joining us, my name is Karin Zoe Lee, and you've been listening to Night Ride FM. And I'm back with a guest from the uh, cult classic, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the score composer, John Rosari, is my guest tonight. Hello, John. Hello, Karin. Uh, it's so great to know that I'm speaking to someone that comes from such a beautiful city like Seattle, or you're at least near Seattle. And it's it's rumored that you have this wonderful, as I understand it, there's actually water that falls from the sky. I'm in California, and uh, we have heard <laughs> that there are places where water periodically falls from the sky. Is this true? It does. Have oh. you ever seen a cloud, John? Uh, we have seen clouds, but no water. There's it's a it's something that we've we've heard about. It's been it's been told it's been discussed in prophecy. So you're telling me that there's a place where water does not fall from the sky? Yeah, there's a place. It's called Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why Los Angeles County steals all their water from neighboring states and and Northern California. So anyway. <laughs> So I, I, one day I shall venture to Seattle. It's an absolutely beautiful city. And I think it's like uh, neck and neck, in my opinion, as far as a beautiful city with San Francisco, if I may say so. Oh, yeah, I love it here. I've moved around a lot, but I put down roots here. I love it. You should come visit. That would be great. You should actually visit during the summer. Mm -hmm. Get about a week where it doesn't rain. No. <laughs> you should come then. It, it would feel like home. <laughs> well... Uh, I'll definitely bring a uh, rain gear to deal with the onslaught of water. Oh, if you don't have any, you'll be able to find some every five blocks in between the Starbucks. <laughs> or at the Starbucks. You can get Starbucks rain gear. No kidding. Incredible. <laughs> so, of course, I introduced you by mentioning Killer Clowns. Mm -hmm. Do you mind that that's like what you're best known for, even though it's so early? Well, even though it's so early. Well, um, no, I don't. And the reason being is this. I, I take great joy in it because when I worked on the score for Killer Clowns from Outer Space, it was a wonderful experience for me. And the fact that people all these years have grown to love the film itself and the characters and the overall bizarre aspect of the premise, the fact that the music is a component of all of that, and they actually love the music. I, I'm very grateful and happy that it brings joy to people. That's wonderful. So where were you at in your career when you did that score? That's a very interesting question. Very interesting question indeed. I had just finished the wonderful world of Disney theme. I had a, a tour of duty with the Mouse House, as we like to call it. I didn't work on staff. I was a um, independent contractor and I had done all sorts of things, including the, the opening trailer that was going to introduce Epcot Center. And I had graduated up to the wonderful world of Disney theme. And shortly after that, I'd say probably less than a year after that, I got a call from a very good friend of mine that said that he knows a, a group of filmmakers that he used to work with back east doing commercials that are doing this crazy movie and he just wanted to drop my name. He wanted my permission. He says, it's a really insane movie. You may not even want to do it. It's called something like uh, Space uh, space Invading Clowns or something crazy like that. And I go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. 
What's it called? Space Invading Clowns. I go, I love this. I love that. One film that I've seen that I've always wanted to do a film something in that genre of bizarre imaginative worlds was um, Richard Elfman's Forbidden Zone. When I saw that movie, my, my jaw dropped for the whole duration of the film. I said, I, I, at some point in my career, I have to do something like this. This is so incredible. And as we know, Richard Elfman is Danny Elfman's brother older brother so uh anyway so i got the call and i auditioned for it the audition piece which was used in the film was called mike and debbie's discovery and the killer clown march so i auditioned with gosh probably at least 30 other composers and uh they did a blind test and they they just felt that i had taken their movie premise seriously I didn't treat it as a goofy premise. So the music is basically the straight man of the film. Because if the music was goofy and silly, and then the premise of the movie is basically insane, it, it, they really wouldn't work together well. And a little aside note, the killer clown march that everyone seems to recognize, and they do um, TikTok videos playing drums or playing guitar or dancing to the Killer Clown March. That was actually written when I was in high school. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> I was in a band called Crisis and we all, we, we would play, you know, Black Sabbath and, and uh, Led Zeppelin and Kiss, whatever new album came out, we would learn the songs and play it at the latest dance or prom. Uh, <laughs> what was your instrument back then? It was bass and keyboards okay cool so i bought this early manifestation of the killer clown march to my band and kind of played it through and they go what kind of chords are it? well it kind of spells out this chord and that chord and they go that th those are jazz chords we don't play jazz chords john <laughs> we do hard rock this is before it was called heavy metal right so years afterwards, when I saw Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and I said, the sensibilities of the appreciation of Killer Clowns from Outer Space comes from being a kid, I always felt. Of course. So it's, it's like the kid in you, like this, there's this goofy movie. And for me, a goofy movie like that was like The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, which was a Dr. Seuss story. So this was my 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. That's cool. I like that you were in high school when you wrote this. That's cool. So... How long did it take to come up with the entire score? Or did you just have that song? Okay, so now you want me to go into, you want me to geek out, basically. This is geek out time. Uh-oh. <laughs> yes? <Sure. laughs> okay, well, you know, just like anything else, um, in the media industry, Killer Clowns from Outer Space was a product in production. And usually products have to have a schedule when they want things done. And I was lucky enough to get a six-week schedule from the time they had a cut of the movie that was finalized with effects and everything. And by the way, I must say there was no temp music at all in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I believe when I saw the screening of the first cut with a bunch of other people, various, you know, sound effects people and music and visual effects people and what have you. I think the song by the Dickies was already placed in the beginning, which I thought was really awesome. But the rest of the movie did not have one stitch of temp music, which was an absolute joy because now I have, I can do what I want to do. And that's what I did. And 
I, I tell directors who lob tons of temp music on their scores, and I said, what do, you, what do you think, what's your favorite movie? And they may say, like, say, Aliens, Ridley Scott's Aliens. I go, okay, what do you think they temp tracked Aliens with? He goes, I don't know. Well, they didn't temp track with anything, because they didn't know what they wanted. They let the composer come up with something very imaginative. The same thing with Blade Runner. That wasn't, had, had no temp track. So Vangelis was able to express himself with his musical syntax, so to speak. So that's what I was able to do. I, t I took whatever influences that bring me joy that I can speak well in, I put in that movie. And um, I don't know if I could talk about it, but the, the Synthwave album that I'm working on, I took that to yet another level. I basically tapped into my early days as a kid listening to the radio like i'm talking about like a four and five and six year old where i would just turn the radio on at two o'clock in the morning and listen to whatever's on close my eyes and the music would give me an experience it would put me in a different world so i wanted to bring that to my synthwave album so that you can close your eyes you can go in a dark room close your eyes listen to the score and pick out new colors each time you hear it and you don't know exactly what to expect next. That's another aspect of music that I like. I don't like to do things that are really predictable, so I like to ride that line of unpredictability that will give the listener, and to be quite honest, give me uh, a really um, satisfying experience. <laughs>
So uh, why Synthwave? Why Synthwave? Well, it's interesting. I've been doing Synthwave when it wasn't called Synthwave. It was called, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh my God, we need to save money. And can you use those machines, those <laughs> synthesizer things? Can't you just do everything with a synthesizer? It's so funny. I, there was a trailer I did for Epcot Center. And just recently, the, the audio file resurfaced. I remember the recording sessions. Uh, there was two friends of mine. Bobby Alpert and uh, Roy Braverman, they had a collection of synthesizers that they would have to bring in uh, in carts. And they would just tell me, okay, I'm not taking this off the cart because everything's too heavy. And we would just spend, you know, about a good hour. I would describe, okay, I'm looking for a sparkly sound. And I would, you know, watch them turn the knobs and understand the process of each different model of synthesizer. They ha it has their own. They basically do the same thing. They alter different types of sound waves, like square waves and sine waves and sawtooth waves. And depending on how you manipulate them with very, the various parameters, you can come up with all kinds of incredible sounds. So I later started to program my own synthesizers after that. But when I was doing that, we had to go through this process of a few hours of describing, I wrote a piece of music that was like a piano piece and then I would say, this is the type of sound I want here. This is the type I want, you know, I want a flute-like sound here. I need a sparkly motion type sound for this area. And we would get it all to get, and that was the, that's the synth wave. You know, I guess it, that later became synth wave, right? The textbook definition is, is in 80s inspired synthesizer sounds used with modern day production techniques. There's something that a lot of the synthwave artists might find interesting to know that back then, producers used to tell me, if you're going to use synthesizers, don't use any cheesy presets. Mm -hmm. Well, every synthesizer has a set of factory presets that get used over and over again because they're just right there. You don't have to think. You know, you just like say, okay, here's a string sound. Here's an electric piano sound. And there's this sameness that happens. So that was one of the things. You know, Are you going to like spend time and make your own sounds? I go, yeah, yeah, I'll spend. And I, that's what I did for Killer Clowns from Our Space. I probably spent an entire week coming up with customized sounds with a DX7, a Prophet 5. There was also several samplers that we used at the time. And that's what gave it its uniqueness. In Blade Runner, for instance, there's some, they call them patches or presets that Vangelis used off of his Yamaha CS80 that are standard bread and butter sounds that people use today in Synthwave to create their own music. So that was the interesting. Why Synthwave? Well, I wanted to, with Killer Clowns from Outer Space, I wanted to revisit the score. My ultimate goal is to resync it back into the picture. And I wanted to approach the album as if I was doing it today with today's equipment, software, and hardware, and you know, have fun with it. Just have a lot of fun with it. Because the direction that I got from the filmmakers was, is we don't want this recorded with an orchestra because at the time there was there was a certain sound that orchestral recordings in horror had that you either loved it or you hated it it had a certain sound it wasn't like star wars and it wasn't like something you would see on television it wouldn't be like something you see in a big budget movie it had a certain sound all of its own and they didn't want that sound and so it's just, can you use those synthesizers and electronics to come up with something very unique because we're trying to create a different world here 
However, we want the character of the music to be in the grand tradition of movies that they loved, which were big classics like King Kong, Mighty Joe Young, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is Armand Kachaturian and Richard Strauss. You know, they wanted to be classically inspired, but performed with very unique voices from synthesizers. So what does your setup look like today? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> well, my setup today, you mean like what kind of equipment do I have? Yeah, obviously it's not okay. the same as an 88 you're using the... Uh... Yes, it's not the same as an 88 because, um, well, I don't know how to put how to say this, but and I am not alone in this opinion. Uh, it's a lot of fun to play around with hardware synthesizers. And there's a reason why a synthesizer patch is called a patch because you basically had patch cables and cords that you connected certain components of your synthesizer to create a sound that you would have to take a picture of or you would have to write out in great detail what all your knob settings were. Uh, programmable synthesizers didn't come out until like early to mid eighties, but prior to that, you had to wing it, you know, once you came up with the sound, there were ways to save the data where you can recall it. But then there's other issues. Uh, there's heat, there's uh, electrical current. Sometimes some synthesizers would drift in pitch. Sometimes they, the character of the sound would change. And if you didn't record it within like an hour, you know, the sound character could possibly change because there's a temperature component. So basically, I'm, I have a confession to make. I, I work basically entirely in the box. I have very good emulations of all the hardware. I just spoke to a friend of mine that he has, he has a giant modular synthesizer and he only uses it on rare occasions. And he says, I just won't, I don't want to give it up. It's just a beautiful piece of equipment and it looks great in my room but i use it every once in a while but i always go into the box because you have 100 recall and if anyone's worked in the industry before you're, you're always going to do one two and three and four versions of what you're doing and if you try to recall it from hardware synthesizers it's kind of tough so when you're working in the box what i call in the box which is like in your computer with a a very good DAW and a good collection of uh, instrument plugins, you can basically call up the same piece of music without any variation and make the changes you need to, to make. Now, do I go run to the studio to do something interesting? Yes, I do. Uh, there's a, a pal of mine that has a studio that most of my old gear is at. I have a uh, Wurlitzer electric piano. I've got, you know, the various Roland, complement of Roland synthesizers and DX7 and some very old uh, archaic synthesizers that I will reserve for very exposed, very particular things. To be quite honest with you, it's a lot of fun to do. But 90% of my work is done inside the computer. You still have a pretty good collection of synthesizers? Uh, yeah, uh, I don't use them often. <laughs> and and uh, I, I do have bass guitars because I do play bass. As a matter of fact, I have my bass out because I have to play bass today. And so uh, I'm playing bass on my Synthwave album today. So I, I, I like playing real bass. There are people that play much better than I do, and I do employ their, their efforts. And I'm also going to be having some members of a particular punk band that are going to be playing on this album as well. 
but I can't mention the punk band by name because that's a whole different thing. So that's just the way it is. There's a, there's a very well-known punk band that's going to be <laughs> members of which are going to be playing on this album. I can't mention the name of the band. I'll be going into crazy legal territory. That's okay. But I know you've been invited back already on Tonight Ride FM. Mm-hmm. Later this fall, maybe you'll oh, be able to tell us more then. <laughs> absolutely. I'll probably have video out. As a matter of fact, I've already done sessions with two drummers that are just dying to release video. I says, no, let's wait a little bit longer because everyone's uh, taking video of their performance while they play. But we are going to do a session in about a month where we do it the old-fashioned way. We get everyone to a room and just jam. That'd be cool. So I noticed that... Uh, couple years ago when i think around the time that you did the reimagined score mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to perform with a live orchestra how often have you gotten to do that oh live well to be very honest with you i had not performed live since i was in college oh wow and there were several people that came to, on the day of the concert they're coming to the reception on the the red carpet they people that i know other professionals that come says john you've never done a live performance how is this going to go and i go it's like a recording session except there's a bunch of people behind us what do you mean how is it going to go it's going to go wonderfully <laughs> <laughs> i was very fortunate i would not have put on this concert unless i can work with top tier people uh first of all we had the dickies perform with us who did the the Killer Clowns theme song. They performed with the live orchestra. The live orchestra was uh, contracted by Hollywood Scoring, and they contract all the big sessions, all the Marvels, you name it, whatever brand name movie. The musicians that performed in my orchestra have performed in all the big movies. i I be very honest with you, at least 50% of the people in my orchestra had played on the last John Williams Star Wars session. Oh, nice. Yeah, so... It's so interesting in rehearsal. When we had our dress rehearsal, I told everyone, I said, let's go to this particular cue. This is the toughest cue. If we can nail this, the rest is like, just like butter. And uh, after they played it, I looked at everyone, have you guys played this before? Because <laughs> it just like went by as if they had played it forever. And uh, there's a program that conductors have. It's kind of like Guitar Hero, where the movie is synchronized to the sequence of the music. And the conductor sees this little screen that has lines that go across it. There are little flashes of light that keep you on the beat. And it just went by swimmingly. But the most important thing, it's not that it went but they played it really well and all that is that the musicians enjoyed themselves performing it. And what's even more important is the audience enjoyed it. My wife and kids were in the in the audience and she goes, John, people were screaming through the whole thing. <laughs> people, were, people were standing up, uh, you know, it was incredible. We had three screens. We had the main screen and then off the side there were two uh, screens that were half the size of the main screen. And, you know, I would look in the audience from time to time. I'd see people in costume. And it was the first time uh, MGM executives had ever seen the movie, let alone seen the movie with an obsessive crowd of people. So it was at, we performed it at the Montauban Theater, which is like a thousand seat theater. It's on Hollywood and Vine. And we had uh, official killer clowns, clowns from the Kyoto Brothers 
studio that were there in official attire. And it was just a wonderful night. Uh, the cast was there, Grant Kramer and Suzanne Snyder. And they said it was just the most surreal event they had ever been to. And there was just such uh, energy in the air. So we plan to do it again. The beginning of 2019, going into 2020, we were in talks to, to do the concert again, but on a much larger scale. So that had to be put on hold, and we are initiating that uh, those talks again. Oh, wow. The plan is to explore a uh, very specific type of tour that would take advantage of other local events and be part of those local events. So that, that would be really good. You can't do this show unless you have certain working parts, and that's where we're getting all those working parts together. Well, I would love to see that at the uh, Mopop Museum in Seattle. <laughs> well, I'd be happy to. I'd be ha- we'd ha- be happy to uh, visit Seattle. interesting and fun project I was called on to. 
listen, uh, there, there are certain uh, facts about being a composer or having the ability to produce music when you work in the media industry. There are people that other composers that will call you and say, listen, I need a hand. I need a hand doing this or doing that. Uh, I need you to write this for me. And 99% of the time, actually 100% of the time, I don't take credit uh, because I just don't want to take any attention from my pal that was so kind to include me in his really cool picture. I don't want to, t- you know, I don't want to be known as that. You know, they usually, usually a credit appears on an IMDb called additional music. But uh, one particular friend of mine, Bear McCreary, was working on a movie and for about six months he kept, po- I would see him at a variety of different events and he would point at me, he says, your, your name keeps coming up in conversations. And I go... <laughs> And I go, this wouldn't happen to be with the IRS, would it? She says, no, 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 no. It's something I'm working on, but your name keeps coming up. So uh, so there's a movie called Hellfest, and apparently they had mentioned, uh, we like that score of John Masari's or whatever for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And Bear McCreary says, well, I know the guy. I know him. I know the Killer Clown guy, and he can work on it. And he says, can he do music just like he did Killer Clowns? I'm sure. Yeah, sure. So I did... I did with the exact same, basically the same exact equipment, the same approach to recording and the whole nine yards. I did a, a piece of music and they said, ah, we don't like it. Oh. <laughs> I go, okay, all right, let me take another crack at it. So I did it the way I would do it today, right? You know, because the past is the past and the future is the future. So I put a lot of influence that I have today into that. And uh, that was called, I think it was called Killer Clown Scare Zone. But clown spelled with a C instead mm-hmm. of a K. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun because I got to haul out some gear that I hadn't used in a while. I did some, like the, the synth solo that I've always wanted to do. <laughs> I did in that piece. You know, just for up and coming musicians, you know, there's nothing like using a basic triangle square sawtooth wave tone and, and playing a really great part. And then you add all the little reverb and delay after that, and it'll sound gorgeous and it'll cut through a track like butter. You don't have to worry about hunting down all kinds of software. You can get any basic synthesizer with its basic component. As long as you're playing a really cool line, you know, the music itself is good. That's what will shine. That's what people will remember. People aren't going to remember you for, oh, wow, the... He spent three days coming up with this really awesome sounding lead sound. No, sometimes it's just, sometimes it just comes down to the music, you know? So anyways, I say did that and a few other things. And basically there was like a pot, like a hat of like tasks that were to be done on this movie. And I would say, okay, let me, let me just do that scene. I'll, I'll grab that scene. I'll grab this. And, and so that was a lot of fun to be part of and to work with Barry McCreary. He's a lot of fun. But that's how that particular piece worked. And I was really glad because it was like I got to use all the heavy gear. Uh, that's this Like I said before, you know, there's sometimes a work in the box and there's sometimes where I plug things back up and, and run them. If you see on my YouTube channel, I also did that on my Reimagined album. I went into the studio and recorded a couple of key parts with the gear that I I used to use. And that was uh, just tons of fun. And I hope people appreciate it. I hope they uh, get some joy out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So do you prefer to work mostly on horror scores? 
Well, last year I spent the entire year doing Christmas music. Oh, okay. But original Christmas music, not like a different version of Jingle Bells. Right. Music that's inspired by the spirit of Christmas and the holidays. And that was for an outfit called, um, sometimes it's Bleeding Fingers and sometimes it's uh, extreme music. Uh, usually what happens is that I'll tell them, listen, I finished a project and I did an excess of music and here it is, perhaps you guys would like this. And they say, oh yeah, we like that, but can you extend it? Can you put some breaks in it? They'll offer some suggestions. And so I'll work like on, on a three minute piece of music. I'll, I'll spend three months on it, you know, making it so that it's a classic. Uh, so I should explain, excuse me, Extreme Music is a production music company. Uh, it's run by Russell Emanuel and his business partner, Hans Zimmer. When you do something for extreme music, you have to bring your triple A game. So, I mean, I could do a piece of music that I think is absolutely great. And they say, hmm, I don't know, we'll pass. And then I'll do something that they will just say, all right, send this to us. This, we know we know where to put this. And this music will uh, find its way into other movies. It'll find its way into trailers and all sorts of things. So do I like to just do horror music? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a short answer i mean i like horror music and i, I someone had to point out that you know i i wanted to say oh god i don't think i can't remember much horror outside of killer clowns and they said well you did a thing called steel and lace talk about the ultimate synthesizer score that was done in 1988 just after killer clowns like six months after killer clowns from space i did a thing called steel and lace that was basically a girl becomes a robot sort of thing and she uh, wreaks havoc on all of the bad guys in the in the story is directed by ernie farino who did all the uh stop motion effects in the movie terminator <laughs> oh, wow. so we were all doing something and then i did a tv series like i said someone had to call this to my attention in addition to doing disney stuff which has nothing to do with horror which i did for quite a while um i also did a tv series called monsters it was definitely horror <laughs> and boy was that loaded with synthesizers and uh let me see i did a movie with uh two movies with a, a really great horror director david dakota I did a movie called Skeletons that was a horror thriller and then a movie called Retro Puppet Master. Okay. Yeah, so and there's a few others in there. I just didn't they just don't come to mind right now. Do I enjoy doing horror? Yes, but I like doing a variety of different types of music. In studying the pedigree of composers, there was a composer in the early 1930s. His name was uh, Castel Nuevo Tedesco, and his nickname was Teddy. And he was this incredible composer that wrote piano concertos and guitar concertos. And he worked in film, his countless number of films. The, the original Batman movie serial, way back in the 40s and 50s, had music from him. And then I look into his history, and he, he was also a teacher. And his students were none other than John Williams. Oh, wow. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith, Henry Mancini, my mentor, Jerry Fielding. And everyone studied from Teddy or um, Tedesco. And he was just a very accomplished composer. And using that as an inspiration, I said to myself, well, you know, I got to do a piece so I did kind of like a mini piano concerto that I finished in January. You can probably find it on my SoundCloud. 
It's called Piano in, in January, done with just a string section and a pianist, and that's it. So, does it have anything to do with horror? Of course it doesn't. Uh, you could probably use it in a horror movie, because there are parts of it that are very beautiful, and sometimes beautiful, simple music against a very scary scene can be frightening, because you have that contrast. I love that. Yeah. Yes, and that that's the, uh, that's the formula for The Exorcist. That piece of music that Oldfield wrote was well before the movie came out, and it had nothing to do with a little girl being possessed by the devil. And if anything, what that music helped to do was to show the, the beautiful innocence that, that was captured by evil. You know, the theme was like beautiful, but yet mysterious, maybe creepy, I don't know, maybe a little creepy, and depending where you use it. And of course, everyone and their brother has done variations of it, and one of the very classic variations of it, or emulations of it, was in the movie Halloween, where uh, John Carpenter kind of did a tubular bells-inspired piece of music that became the signature for his Halloween movies. Who have you been listening to in the synthwave scene? Well, uh, there's a few people that have caught my attention. Uh, okay, and I'm really amazed with her music, and I've been listening to a lot of it to the point that maybe, maybe, just maybe, she might consider working with me, because I think her real name is Florence, but she doesn't go by that. Glitbiter. Okay, now that you said it, I can say it, Glitbiter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it just, I, I feel weird saying it. I, it's almost like I have to qualify myself before I say it, but I think it's cool that she has such a cutting edge kind of name that she's, hi, I'm Glitbiter. What? What did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> I had to hear it twice too. <laughs> so of the synthwave artists I've heard, I think I'm, I'm very impressed with her is not only her sound and her musicianship but her uh her story in how she came to music and what her influences were and what she's known and what her background is so that's one now there's another artist that i really admire as well uh, you know and she has there are synth wave elements in some of her music uh, her name is uh, Elise Trow. Uh, if you're not familiar with her, she's Trow is spelled T-R-O-U-W. And uh, she's also a artist that plays all of her own music. She, she gets her hands into production and uh, she has a marvelous voice. But Glitbiter really impressed me. Very, very much impressed me. And if no one's been familiar with her music, you must follow her. You must listen to her because I can listen to her music and it becomes an experience. You can close your eyes and it's captivating. And that is, uh, that is very rare that someone can kind of captivate you and uh, bring you to a, a place, you know, for the, for the moments that their music is playing and they're performing it. I agree. I uh, recently saw her on a, a live stream concert. Mm -hmm. I think it was Synth Valley Stream Fest. And yeah, she's just entrancing, mm -hmm. haunting, beautiful voice and just watching her play. Yeah, that voice is like, she's got a voice. I was amazed. I got the nerve to send her a uh, Instagram message, just basically acknowledging the power of her, her instrument, which is her voice and obviously her musicianship. And I was amazed that an hour later I got a response. <laughs> you know, she just... Uh came out with an album mm -hmm. she's super nice she lives in your area though well she's in yeah los angeles yes yes that's that's a lot of help <laughs> <laughs>
aside from the horror scores, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can see why I asked, though, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> Cinematic steampunk. Oh yes, yes. Okay. the 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 short story on that is: some years ago, I want to say it was two thousand fourteen. Uh, Mr. Hans Zimmer had basically a talent contest. He was looking for new musical talent on SoundCloud. He basically said, here's some tracks. If you can play with them and come up with some music, we will uh, consider having you on our staff. And so I took that opportunity to listen to a lot of incredible talent throughout the world. And uh, there's some people I know, there's a colleague of, I guess now a colleague of mine. She did a, a very wonderful piece and there was one musician from Canada. She was a cellist and she played everything on her cello. You know, she didn't have a ton of synthesizers and a ton of equipment. She used her cello in so many incredible different ways as a percussion instrument, as a melodic instrument. And her name was Margaret Maria. And we worked on an album together. It took about three years to make called Cinematic Steampunk. And it is music that's used in trailers and commercials and all that sort of stuff but we just went wild we just broke the music production formula of like stopping at 30 seconds and doing this we just we wrote if we wanted to write a piece of seven minutes long we just wrote a piece of seven minutes long and it was such a wonderful collaboration and we never met in person until after we were finished we would just send files back and forth to each other she sent me the first piece of music and i did a production of it and she called me up practically screaming at me. She says, no, 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 you're getting it all wrong. I go, wait a minute, hold on a second. What do you mean I'm getting it all wrong? No, this is, it sounds like a chamber piece that would be performed at a junior college. I want you to take my tracks and like mangle them. And, and I go, okay, you don't have to go no further. Go no further. So basically I would add whatever musical ideas to her tracks and vice versa. I would send her tracks, like basic a basic piano part. That's where all, by the way, that's where everything starts. Basic idea has to be so simple. You can just play it on the piano and you get, and you get a feel of what's going to happen in the music. I would send that to her and she would throw me back like, 20 30 tracks that stacked and layered on top of each other and so we did this for about for three years and it got the interest of a variety of places there are some places that music production venues that they have such a turnover of personnel that you're never talking to the same person from every six six to nine months you're talking to a different person you have to start all over again so we managed to find someone who was very interested in our idea idea and sound and that's how that was made and i had we had so much fun we did like um, 18 tracks the ones that i gave you i i think are in the synth wave uh, version because they have more synthesizer involvement in them the everything else is very acoustic as a matter of fact oh i must give her credit margaret maria also played on the killer clown march what sounds like a guitar playing at various parts of the track are you gonna tell me that's a cello it's a cello oh my god yeah she just plays her part with a lot of guts and gusto and then i put it through distortion pedals and you know just i treat it as if it's a guitar 
that's how it manifested itself. And there's an actual live guitar player, Jonathan Padilla, plays several tracks on top of that. And then, of course, I'm playing whatever synths and bass. And we had a real drummer. So we just had an incredible time. And that was all from that uh, talent search. And uh, like I said, I hadn't met her. I, I met her after we finished the album. It was like three years we were working on it. She, she came out to uh, for like a quick vacation visit to, to L.A., and that's where we finally met. But that's how Cinematic Steampunk was born. That's cool. Can we hear Flight of the Nautilus? Regarding Flight of the Nautilus, the musical material was born several years before. I want to say in the mid-90s for a Pepsi commercial. Really? <laughs> that took place on a roller coaster where a kid at an amusement park with all his friends has this big thing of Pepsi and he's like balancing it out so it doesn't spill. <laughs> and uh, so it had to be this really whirlwind thing. What's interesting is that the commercial never saw the light of day. Oh. <laughs> it was a proof of concept thing or something like that. Okay. Anyways, so I took that inspiration and that's what Flight of the Nautilus came to be. That's so cool. Yeah, it's always good. I would say this to young composers, just because something doesn't get used, like the Killer Clowns from Outer Space theme, just because your buddies don't get it, doesn't mean there's a million other people that won't. You know what I'm saying? You know, they oh. didn't get it. Just like Killer Clowns, the movie itself. I mean, I've had conversations with people that they, they thought I should be embarrassed that I worked on the movie. And I would tell them, this movie is not for you. Because you don't like it, that doesn't mean that 10 other people won't like it. And my point has been proven. Yeah, especially in, in our scene here, we really love like, 80s pop culture. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's as much, you know, Synthwave is, is a revival movement. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's still the appreciation of you know, what what was popular back then or mm -hmm. what was a cult classic back then. Right, right. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with it when I was working on it. I didn't have a problem when it was done. I didn't even have a problem when my own family members didn't like it. What? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I like your wonderful world of Disney thing. This one I don't like. It's too weird. I go, that's the whole point. It's supposed to be too weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing that it's still so big. Well, I think different generations are finding, uh, discovering it. Someone that was like seven years old when it came out is now considerably older than seven years old and it will have younger siblings, maybe nieces and nephews that they'll introduce it to. I can't tell you how many people I've met in their 20s saying, my grandpa plays this for me and we pop popcorn and we just have a blast. <laughs> you know, it's something, it's like a kind of comfort food. They, they haul it out every once in a while. Uh, and now you can see it in just about any conceivable format imaginable. You know, and so it's uh, it, it always plays, and people get to enjoy it, and that's that's what it that's what it all comes down to. That you know, there are people that multi generation, that people I'll probably never meet in my entire life that will likes this movie as a whole, and part of the component of that whole is the music, and I'm so happy to be a part of that. Yeah. A lot of them are listening. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell them they can they can drop my, my Instagram and say hi anytime they want. Awesome. And uh, are you on any other socials? Well, I'm also on Facebook and, and Twitter. 
I do appearances, by the way, where uh, people can bring me their memorabilia and I can sign it for a small fee. And just so you know that that small fee goes to help support a youth orchestra that I am a board member of. Awesome. Very happy. To, we started this year, got together with the board members, and we have various, various sources of income. I says, listen, I'm going to do this thing. If you guys don't mind being associated with Killer Clowns from Outer Space, I can, uh, the money I get from doing appearances, I will just deposit the next day into the account, and we'll have just that much more money. And they said, as long as there's a paycheck involved, we don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm appearing at Days of the Dead in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. But the 14th to the 16th, I'll be there. So if anyone happens to be in Las Vegas, wants to come by to say hello to Uncle John and have me sign something for you or just chat for a few minutes, uh, you're absolutely welcome. When are you coming to Seattle? That I want to do that. I want to see this uh, legendary weather um, uh uh, the water falling from the sky, we call it rain. Falling from the sky, what you call it? <laughs> and you know, every once in a while, in the middle of February, that rain freezes and it falls as snow. But it's only like once a year out here. Wow! So <laughs> ice falls from the sky as well. It's this like the, slushy. Kind this of. is a magical place indeed. <laughs> but I also want you to see the uh, Museum of Pop Culture that I'd we love have. To see that. I'd love to see that. Yeah, formerly it's the Experience Music Project, but it's kind of expanded. So, uh, I want to thank you for, for joining me on this show tonight. Um, I'm so honored to have you. We don't get composers very often. Thank you for thinking of having me, and thank you for uh, being so gracious as to be on your show. I really love the work that you do, and I, I have discovered new music thanks to you. I love hearing that. That's that's my favorite thing. That's the whole point of doing all this. Yes. So uh, when can we expect a completed release of the Synthwave version of the uh, Killer Clown score? Well, I should be done around November or December. Then there's probably one or of two or three different labels that would be interested in releasing it. And it's just a matter of time. So maybe next year, this time, it'll be available. And until that time, I'm going to be all doing all kinds of little promo things, making teaser trailers and stuff like that. So people have something to hold on to. Thank you for, for joining me. And uh, we'll be looking out for that album. Thank you very much. Thank you. For, and to the Synthwave community and uh, this wonderful world you are documenting and archiving for us. We, we hold a great debt of gratitude. And hey, maybe uh, next year after the release, come back on? Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> There's always room. I'll make room. Yes. <laughs> thank you very much. Always good, to always good to have a home. And I want to thank all the listeners, too. You've been listening to Karin Zoe Lee on Night Ride FM and my guest, John Masari, of the famous Killer Clowns from Outer Space score. Thank you all, and have a good night. Mm -hmm.